Ron Fellows is a former race car driver who holds the most wins by a foreign-born driver in NASCAR's top three series. Join me, Drake Demore, as we talk to Ron about growing up in Windsor before moving around Ontario, getting into racing as a kid, and his entire career from start to finish, including what he's doing now in the sport. Hello, how you doing? It's Zach Kowski. Adam Henry. Joe Siddle. Tom Crawford. Todd Warner. Brett Romberg. DJ Laramie. And Holy Mackinac! You're listening to Wind City Sports. What up, everybody? My name is Drake Moore, and thank you for streaming or downloading this episode of the Wind City Sports Podcast. Windsor's only local sports radio show and podcast. Live on CJAM 99.1 FM every Thursday at 12.30 and replays on Tuesdays at 8 p.m. for our Wind City Sports radio show. And the Win City Sports podcast every Thursday, first thing in the morning on WinCitySports.com and anywhere podcasts are found, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. On the radio show, you will hear highlights from our podcast interviews, some local sports news, and some good music. Here on the podcast, you'll hear the full uncut and unedited version of interviews with local athletes, coaches, entrepreneurs, and much more, as well as some local sports news, as we usually do even during this pandemic, trying to gather as much information as possible. But we'll talk about that at the end of the show as we normally do. We also have a Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at WinCity underscore sports. We have our WinCity Sports YouTube channel, so give us a like, follow, subscribe, whatever it may be. But today is Thursday, May 14th, 2020, and it's episode 195 of WinCity Sports. So if you enjoyed last week's episode, you'll likely enjoy this one too. Kind of stereotypically known to go hand in hand with WWE and NASCAR fans. Last week we had a professional wrestler from uh, a guy in Michigan actually who trained over here in Windsor and got his start through Border City Wrestling. And now we have one of, if not the only, I believe the only ever race car driver to come out of Windsor in Ron Fellows, who is our guest this week on Wind City Sports. He was actually born here and spent a, a short period of time before moving around Ontario. His dad was a minister, I believe, or a priest, whatever, and um, ended up not staying here for too long, but he was born here in Windsor, and we do consider him a Windsorite. He went on to become one of the best uh, NASCAR drivers, foreign-born, foreign, foreign born, at least, so him being Canadian um, made him qualify for that status. Uh, from there, he's gone on to do some interesting things. He received the Order of Canada, which uh, we talk about that, of course. Neither of us even really know how that all came to be, but he was honored for his work as a race car driver uh, by the by the Canadian government, really. Uh, so that's a pretty interesting story. We'll also talk about what he's doing now. He's, uh, he's teaching. Um, as we actually did this interview, he was literally driving. I think he was... I don't know, know what he was doing. Um, not to uh, throw the guy under the bus. I know it was totally hands-free. I think he was maybe just uh, trying out a car or he was in the car with somebody um, who was learning. <laughs> so um, he was able to, to, to chat with me for a bit. So um, it's a little bit of a different one. Uh, obviously, he's kind of focused on two things throughout this interview. And um, that being said, we, we get down to the to the bottom of it for sure. I mean, one thing that I wanted to talk about with him was because I didn't know how does somebody get into racing? You know, how do you 
become a fan, yet alone race or uh, NASCAR and uh, stuff like that. You know, hockey player sees it on TV, sees it, you know, in his backyard or on the streets, whatever uh, road hockey that is. And, uh, you know, starts playing, makes his way through the ranks. How do you do that as a race car driver to make it all the way to NASCAR? Um, so we talk about that with Ron Fellows, a guy from right here in Windsor. And we're going to get into that interview in um, in a few minutes, I guess, maybe right now. Um, later on in the show, we'll, we'll have some news. Um, as much as we can gather, we have some hockey news, some signings um, to the NHL, some local guys. And anything I can gather. Lately, I've been trying to gather stuff from Twitter, just random news that... Some people might not consider news, really. Maybe it's just me. But uh, just with the the lack of sports lately, obviously it's been hard to kind of gather some information. Thank God for UFC last weekend, even though it cost me a couple bucks <laughs> additionally to watch that and uh, lose on uh, sportinteraction.com. But thankful I have some sort of sports and what a car that was too. But So we're going to do uh, the best that we can and, and again, kind of try and spin it a little bit. I guess we won't really be bringing you all sorts of news. We do have some, some news pieces to talk about. But some of the stuff that I found interesting on Twitter and stuff like that, that kind of relates to the theme here on Win City Sports. So try to keep you guys entertained as we go. We're going to keep trying to do that online as well and um, creating content and putting it out on YouTube and Instagram and all sorts of stuff. Check out the, some of the stuff we've done on, on Instagram lately. I know everyone's been jumping on that trend. There might be an NLL video game. Although it's very doubtful, I made some concept art covers for some Windsorites or, or guys from Windsor. Um, in Josh Jubenville for the Toronto Rock and Brett Hickey for the Philadelphia Wings. Both guys were on the show too, even Josh way back on like the third episode. Um, Brett just uh, recently last year too. Uh, that, that one was very good and I'd love to have Josh back on as well. But just been doing some fun stuff like that on social media to keep people entertained and, and keep myself busy as well. Um, so we're going to continue to try and do that. We will hopefully have some more Cedric's Combat Corner podcast coming out soon as well. Um, but again, just uh, trying to create some content, and I, I hopefully this is out by now. The one thing, the one problem with doing the podcast lately is every time I record something, something drops right after some sort of news. So, um, and who knows where exactly I am at the time um, that this drops, you know, after recording. But anyway, so I have another uh, game cover that I want to release or. Release. I want to post on our Instagram, so keep an eye out for that. Maybe a little bit more far-fetched, but um, again, just trying to have some fun right now during the quarantine. Hope you guys are all staying entertained and busy and healthy and all that stuff, and hope we can do that through Win City Sports as well. We're going to do that right now with a very colorful interview with Ron Fellows, former race car driver, NASCAR driver, born here in Windsor. Here we go. Right now on the phone, we have the winningest foreign-born driver in NASCAR's top three series history, now a trainer at the Canadian Tire Motorsport Park from Windsor, Ontario, Ron Fellows. Welcome to the show, man. Thank you, Drake. Very much. So, um, born and raised at least for some time here in Windsor before taking off, if I'm not mistaken. But what do you remember about growing up back here? What, uh, go as far back as we can remember. Uh, not a lot. I think we're in <laughs> Happened before, uh, I think, in the, my first 
six or eight years of existence. Okay. So, but we had we had um, a lot of a lot of family on both sides. My mom and my dad, southwestern Ontario. Um, I had uh, great aunts that, that lived in Windsor their entire lives. Uh, we would visit frequently, and uh, um, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of it. That's the gist of it, eh? So you're pretty much just a Windsor-born guy. I know you mentioned you started traveling around because your dad's work there. Um, but what was your first yep. introduction to racing, at least as like a, a fan? You know, how, where did you first see it? How did it kind of? How did you get exposed to it? Yeah, I think the the real sort of first uh, taste of it was um, here at uh, here at Canadian Motorsport Park, what was then Mosport. I was 10 or 11 years old. Um, my uncle, uh, he was into rallying, my mom's brother. And he, he brought my, my uh, younger brother and I to the Canadian Grand Prix Formula One race. And that was kind of, uh, that was it. it was, I was uh, bitten by the bug. And from 1969 onwards, I, uh, wanted, to, I wanted to make a living racing cars. So you were just hooked right away. Instantly, the sights, the sound, the smells, all of the above. If if a uh, if an eleven year older can have an epiphany, I did. And you really realized it at that young at a of an age that uh, this is something you wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. When when uh, and with without any knowledge of. Of course, yeah. What what I was what I was in for financially. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I said, you're uh, just a young kid. You don't you don't know anything really. Um, no, but you're thinking this is pretty cool. Again, it's just it's something a little bit different. It's a little unique than well, very unique than pretty much anything uh, in regards to sports. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously you didn't start as a kid in uh, in racing. I'm assuming. Uh, so, did you have any like what other sports and hobbies were you kind of into growing up? Yeah, I I uh, like most. Uh... Canadian kids played uh, played hockey, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, uh, played hockey, played football, a little bit of baseball. But I, I, my second my second love was definitely hockey. Yeah. Um, but I, I I quickly figured out it was I much preferred going fast sitting down. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. So uh, even as a kid, though, were you did you kind of get into like the the cars like more in depth like you like to like maybe did you do like those soapbox uh cars and stuff like that go-karts or anything like that yeah 100 percent carts uh, go-karts yeah. yeah the the uh and i started racing carts probably in the mid 70s so karting karting is uh, is is definitely the uh the first major you know, career step for for kids and it goes back to uh, it goes back to the '60s when it was when it was created. It really was karting was really created as a as a more of a, an adult activity recreation, fun racing recreation because it was inexpensive. Mm-hmm. And then it, and then it quickly became uh, you know a great a great place for for kids to develop. And and by the time they're of driving age, sixteen ish. They're, they're, these days, the kids are ready to go car racing. 16 having carts at the age of seven. Uh, I, I think the first, the first uh, 
probably the one world champion that, that cut his teeth in karting would have been Emerson Fittipaldi, who was world champion in 72 and 74. And it's uh, sort of a natural foundational step for uh, kids. Now it's a, it's a given. Yeah. Because they have all those big competitions even for kids too, right? Yeah, there, there's uh, yeah, there's a number of you know, when I was when I was growing up, there was uh, there was a kart track out in uh, in the Windsor area, Point Valley, which is still yeah. uh, still there. I raced I raced there when I was a kid. Georgetown, Ontario, Goodwood, which exists uh, to this day, Mount Forest, London. They had a track called Fanshawe. So there was there were a lot of a lot of kart clubs, and you sort of cherry pick. The larger events at, at some of these uh, Ontario tracks when you're developing. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it was always a big thing even back then for you know just like kind of a night out sort of thing. Um, but you talked a little bit about yourself being a young kid and and you know kind of being appealed to the to the sport to racing and your first introduction to it being really go karting as we were just talking about. So would you think that you know if it, maybe this happened to you, uh, kids nowadays or even back then? that think like, hey, I want to do this, that uh, doing some karting is is vital experience and would be able to really show them what um, the beginning of it is, I suppose? Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, the, he was uh, a little bit younger than I was, but uh, he ran in a different class only because I'm, I'm 6'2", and he's uh, shorter, uh, Scott Goodyear. Mm-hmm. So we, we, uh, we raced at the same time in in karting, he did, he ran a different class again, just uh, size and weight. Um, but there's, you know, I think about Ludwig Heimrath Jr. who went out to race uh, Indy cars, same era. I raced uh, Formula 1600 against uh, both those guys back in the, in the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, we all we started karting. Paul Tracy started karting. He was sort of the next generation Indy car driver. Uh, it's a long list. Yeah. So this conversation is going to be pretty educational for me. Um, so they actually rank and pull you guys by height and weight and all that. Yeah. When you're when you're when you're a kid and they're growing, I I actually shared a shared a cart with my brother, and we, it was the same uh, same engine class, but my brother was uh, younger, shorter, lighter, so he ran. He ran in what was uh, a light, light class, and I ran in what was the, the what they call the heavy, heavy class. It was uh, there were two-stroke engines back then. They were essentially McCullen train chainsaw motors. So my brother ran what was called Mac light, and I ran Mac heavy. <laughs> well, it's like a... it was it was the matter of in between in between races where we'd uh, we'd bolt on some some lead for me to be able to make weight to run the heavy class and, and we, we could both we ended up uh, both being able to race <laughs> so that's kind of like the heavyweights and the light heavyweights basically at <laughs> least <laughs> in your family yeah <laughs> that's funny but I'm sure growing up you had to have had like a like a favorite racer or someone that you took some inspiration from right yeah the the uh, and I got to meet him at a young age uh, the, the sort of first uh I follow I follow Formula One sports car racing even as a kid and, and Jackie Stewart was uh, three time world champ. He was uh, you know, I, I 
I got to meet him at the age of probably 18 or 19, and uh, a, a very, uh, very well-spoken guy who, who uh, he did a lot for the sport. He was, uh, he was definitely uh, uh, sort of my first sort of major racing idol. And was it, uh, did it live up to the expectations meeting him? Yeah, even more so. Yeah. Yeah, he, he actually took the time to uh, uh, sit me down and talk to me, you know, give me some career advice, and it was it was relevant then, and it's, it's the advice he gave then is relevant still. That's cool, because obviously it's one of those things about meeting your heroes, right? And it can be disappointing sometimes, so... I wanted to right, kind of get the end story. Yeah, this was this was not. And, exactly. Uh, for it to, to come full circle, when when uh, with Corvette Racing in 2001, we won the uh, Rolex 24 at Daytona, the 24-hour race uh, on the podium. Jackie Stewart was the Grand Marshal, and he was he was the one who gave us our Rolex watches on the podium, and it was that was a really really cool moment. Yeah. Not a big deal, eh? Holy moly. <laughs> so how did you kind of get into more, like, serious competitions, if that's even uh, the right way to say it? So, you know, as you mentioned, you started karting as a kid, and as you grow up, you probably go through the ranks age-wise and stuff, but yeah. how does it become more, like, serious, I suppose? Well, it's it, uh, it's a difficult path uh, because it's, you know, in, in hockey terms, Playing the equivalent of AAA hockey as a kid yeah. or as a young adult, uh, it's expensive. The sticks and skates are really expensive, and, and as a teenager trying to afford to race uh, Formula sixteen hundred, which was sort of the, the first open wheel category for uh, open wheel racing development, I basically went broke. Got myself in a terrible amount of debt and did couldn't race for four or five years that path is still still uh is still a sort of a relevant step the the open wheel the open wheel stepping stone category but for me i was very very lucky when in the uh mid to mid 80s uh general motors started a uh, basically a showroom stock camaro firebird series in canada and it had unheard of levels of prize money so this was a basically i go to my go to a local chevy dealer order this this series camaro it was street legal you had to drive it to the track and it had a six point roll cage in it a racing seat and it was about eighteen thousand bucks back then and we used a a goodyear street tire and it paid six thousand dollars a win which was in, which was unheard of prize money for uh, yeah. essentially an entry level series, and that that series uh, called the Player GM series I ran for uh, four years taught me two things: one, how to race because it was intense competition. The very first race there was me and seventy five other guys that saw this six thousand dollar first place prize money. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, ultra competitive. It got very popular. It had some national TV. So if you were any good, you uh, you were able to develop uh, not only your racecraft, but you were also able to sell sponsorship. And uh, you know, I had uh, back then uh, 
Motormaster, uh, one of the Canadian Tires brands, uh, Sunoco, McKenzie Financial, which was a mutual fund company, uh, supported me. And, and when I won a championship in 89, the reward was was an opportunity with some sponsorship to race south of the border in, in, a, uh, in the Trinity Am Series, which was uh, essentially a, a professional series that uh, uh, had numerous manufacturers uh, with having teams in it. And I initially, uh, I in my few races with uh, sponsorship from uh, McKenzie Financial, uh, through a mentor of mine, Jim O'Donnell, who was then the president, uh, I managed to get hired by uh, uh, Jack Roush and uh, Forte, and uh, and then moved to eventually moved to the Chevy team in 1995, and I've basically been a Chevy guy ever since. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's a little more complicated than that. Yeah. But uh, essentially, the as a as a kid in the early 80s up to my eyeballs and just working to pay off my open wheel racing debts and no hope for a career along came this uh, affordable uh, racing series that that uh, was a with, without it I would uh, I would still be working a backhoe digging dig a trench I'm afraid yeah <laughs> That's funny, man. So it seems like it does take a bit of, of getting noticed, though, you know, like, as you mentioned, and, and I'm sure yeah. it's, it's much more complicated, as, as you mentioned. I mean, even if we look at your career alone, it's so in-depth. So I'm sure um, it, every every story is unique, but it, it just takes a little bit yeah. of getting noticed. And for you, it, it, you fell into a, the perfect spot. And it, and it really is, is, you know, I tell, I tell kids all the time that when you get, when you get, a, when you get an opportunity... Uh, limited or otherwise, you gotta you gotta figure out how to make the most of it because you never know who's watching. And you know that's kind of how uh, that's that's how it worked for me. I was whether it was my early days in the you know racing the Camaro where the uh, you know the guys the guys that were when Sonoma was a was a brand in Canada they noticed this kid at the front. Uh, same with uh, President McKenzie Financial, who was a big, big racing fan. Uh, he, he, you know, I, I met him in a race that I that I that I managed to go out and win. Uh, and then, you know, he provided uh, sponsorship after that. It, it's it's mm-hmm. really making sure that what what few opportunities you may get access to, you got to make the most of them. And, and I was fortunate that you know, as as I moved up. Yeah, there were limited opportunities, but I had success when I got them, mm-hmm. which led to which led to full time opportunities and uh, making a making you know the, the the short version is I I was able to make a nice little race of cars. Yeah, that's all I ever wanted to do. Yeah, that's cool, man. I mean, that's that kind of shows the business side of it too, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. for sure. The, the, uh, you know, it, it for me, I could not I could not picture myself. Not racing cars. Mm-hmm. It was in the blood. It's all I ever wanted to do, and I worked my butt off to try to get myself in a position. Uh, you know, and sacrificed an awful lot financially to, to make it happen. Now, it, it, it could have turned out even worse financially, but 
you know, having a very supportive wife and kids that came along with it as well. Yeah. Uh, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have wouldn't have been able to, to happen if they weren't if they weren't as supportive with uh, my like sort of career choice and, mm-hmm. and career dreams. Absolutely, man. That's life at the end of the day. But you went on to have a, a long career too. I mean, nearly twenty years. It seems like. Um, racing. So when you look back at it all, uh, what kind of stands out? Is there anything in particular, any accomplishments or moments or anything like that? Yeah, there's there's a few. Uh, you know, I think about the first, uh, uh, you know, winning my first championship, which was an '89. Uh, first Trans Am win, which as a as a part time guy uh, in uh, that, that same year. But I, I, you know, the obviously the, the some of the big wins, uh, whether they were in sports car racing, NASCAR, they, they all, the, the really cool part is they're all connected to meeting uh, great people and getting some, some great opportunities to be part of some uh, uh, awesome race teams and, and essentially, you know, have, have a career with a, with a manufacturer, Chevrolet, First racing at Camaro, then a then the Corvette program, Corvette racing program, racing Chevys and NASCAR. Uh, I now have the uh, Corvette school in Nevada. You know, the, the 20, gosh, it's 20, 25, 26 years with, uh, with the manufacturer. Uh, it's a, it really is a, a, a dream come true. And, and, you know, the again, the, the people that supported me along the way that I'm still friends with, uh, getting to meet uh, and then drive for uh, Dale Earnhardt uh, Senior and Junior, and an opportunity to uh, race at Le Mans, uh, win at Le Mans. Uh, yeah, just a uh, uh, dream come true. Absolutely, man. So, um, how did you decide to kind of wrap it up? Got old. <laughs> <laughs> That's the yeah, ultimate the, decision. You know, I, it's, it's funny. It's funny as a as a younger younger race racing driver. When when I see drivers retire, I just think, why? Why are they doing it? And then as I got older, I understood. There, you know, as you get as you get older, and I was into my late forties, which was still old for a racing driver, but still able to win. You you start to be a little more concerned about your mortality uh, the risk side of it and uh and also the uh, especially for the long distance racing you know i noticed uh, into my late 40s that uh you know that the change in my eyesight night vision wasn't quite as good which is kind of critical when you're doing these long races at or at night uh, and you know at the age of uh i guess i was 51 that was uh, 50 or 51. Um, it was uh, an opportunity to, to move on, and I, and I was able to move straight into an ambassador role with uh, with this Corvette and uh, Corvette Racing, uh, which I maintain today. That was back in 2009. Okay. I still did. I still raced some part time. My last uh, do do some NASCAR races, but certainly the the more difficult uh, racing, like the Rolex 24 Daytona, 12 hours of Sebring, 24 hours of Le Mans. Uh, it is a younger man's game or younger person's game. Changing of the guard, right? 
know, you, 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 you come to accept it. And, yeah. and you know, it's, it's a, uh, uh, I, and, I, and I think the, the, the single biggest thing that would happen for, you know, whether you're, uh, uh, regardless of gender, you, yeah, you'll get to a point where, yeah, the, the, the risk, the risk factor might be, it starts to, starts to weigh on you and it's, uh, time to stop. Yeah. Oh, and there's no doubt there's a risk involved, right? And again, it's, you only have one life and you want to live it. <laughs> you did what you did and, uh, got able to, you know, fulfill your dreams and stuff like that. But it does look like yeah. you were kind of prepping for retirement too, in a sense. Uh, maybe you weren't, I don't know, but, uh, around 2011, you and some partners, uh, formed the Canadian Motorsport Ventures and kind of, I think, led you to where you are now. So just kind of tell me all about that. Yeah, so so what was then Motorsport is a, is a, a fantastic racetrack uh, north of Bowmanville, built in 1961, and uh, it is a bucket list track for drivers around the globe. It's just an awesome track, long, fast corners, elevation change, they just don't make them like this anymore, and it was um, it was in need of some some infrastructure upgrade. And literally, the, uh, the initial partnership was Carl Fidani, uh, Al Bouton, and myself uh, buying the place. And uh, the idea was to to bring the uh, bring the infrastructure into the 21st century. Because I had this, we had this awesome racetrack that that really needed a major infrastructure upgrade. You know, try to try to bring the uh, fan experience and the and the corporate experience into the 21st century. And uh, we bought the place from uh, Don Don Tanos, uh, an American guy who had, who had essentially saved it in uh, in 99 or 2000 out of bankruptcy. Uh, and Anyway, so that's uh, it's become a family family business. It's uh, you know, Carlo Fidani, my wife Linda, and myself partners, and we've got uh, one son working full time, one part time, and, and and the idea is to uh, you know, grow the facility. And we've been very fortunate; we've had some great partners. Obviously, Canadian Tire being our largest, um, but we've seen we, we we took ownership in 2012. And, and through sort of the 2013 through 2019, we've seen about a 40% increase in, in attendance. So we've really worked hard at, at uh, making it uh, fan family friendly, as well as uh, as being able to provide a uh, a great corporate experience as well. That's really cool. I'm sure the your kids are into the racing too, eh? It's a lot more expensive than I yeah. when I first started. <laughs> Say the least, man. Like you said, you had an eighteen thousand dollar car to start off. Yeah, that doesn't exist. <laughs> exactly. And if it does, then I, I don't want it. <laughs> but, uh, um, <laughs> so uh, that's pretty much keeps you busy nowadays. Eh? That's what you're doing. Uh, probably training your son yeah. too, but pretty much just spending a lot of time uh, teaching and, and training, right? In, in 2000, uh, in the fall of 2008, uh, it was 
you know, I met a couple of guys that had a beautiful motorsports country club uh, 45 miles west of Las Vegas. And at the time, I was talking about retirement. And uh, Corvette, as a brand, uh, we're, we're about to launch the uh, sixth generation ZR1, which at the time was uh, the most powerful Corvette ever. So they wanted to do a, uh, they wanted to do a school as part of the ownership experience, you know, providing people with uh, a, a two-day program, teach them how to uh, how to handle a you know, 630-plus horsepower car. So we, I partnered with uh, these two California businessmen at uh, Spring Mountain Motor Resort and Country Club, uh, west of Las Vegas, and that's where we started the uh, Montel's Performance Driving School. And fast forward uh, to today we're now the official performance driving school of Corvette and uh, it's grown from 2008 to uh, where we probably had eight or nine instructors and a thousand people coming through a year to uh, we've got over 30 full-time instructors and we'll do over 5,000 Corvette owners a year will come through the school as part of the uh, Corvette ownership experience. Wow, man, that's really cool. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of work that you've put into uh, to the sport and to racing over the years, and kind of leads me to where I was going to go to next. Most recently, uh, you were awarded the member of the Ontario Order of Canada, sorry, for outstanding work in multiple dis- disciplinary roles in motor racing. So, how did this all come to be? I have no idea. <laughs> Do you? I, I I don't even know what that is, man. Like, can, can you explain any of that or or uh, help a, a, a little bit? Yeah. So they when uh, uh, 1967 uh, from 1967 to the present, they they they've honored. They created the Order of Canada, which which honors. Uh, uh, I guess what they, they it's considered to be uh, outstanding uh, Canadians. And uh, through 2020, there's been about 7,000 appointed to the uh, Order of Canada. And, uh, yeah, I, I am one out, which, yeah. is, which is awesome. Huh? So they just kind of picked you. Yeah, and I think, I think the, uh, uh, the application... I believe the application was made by uh, a number of journalists from the auto racing community yeah. to the to the uh, uh, governor general uh, and their their selection group. So that's that's kind of how that started, apparently. But I was actually at my school in Vegas uh, in early December when I got the call, and it, and it was it was West Coast time, about five in the morning, and. Uh, and I didn't believe it at first, so I, <laughs> I got this call that I was being appointed to the to the Order of Canada. I'm like, okay, who is this really? Yeah, <laughs> I thought it was one of those uh, like automated calls yeah, that they're calling yeah, people nowadays. Yeah, it's, it's also five in the morning, but yeah, it was uh, it's obviously an incredible honor, uh, and it's 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 great for the sport because it's the first time. Anybody from the auto racing community in Canada has been has been uh, honored. So, uh, and, and you know, I think it's also a, a great reflection on the the, the uh, 
the family support I've had, you know, my wife and kids, and, and uh, this this is this is as much theirs as mine. That's really cool, man. Again, and it's cool to be honored, like you said, uh, in the in the aspect of uh, racers. You know, no one has been honored, and um, better yet, even though you just spent a cup, cup of coffee here for Windsor as well for us to kind of claim you. Um, so to kind of wrap it up, I'm sure you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> to kind of wrap it up, I'm sure you've done. Uh, are you still keeping up with with racing and and watching? Maybe do you ever come down here to the Detroit Grand Prix in Belle Isle? Awesome. We are we are there. Uh, we're there every year. Yeah, for when I've got. I mean, I raced. I raced there, uh, and uh, you know, we go to Belle Isle for the, uh, for the Detroit Grand Prix every year. Generally, in an official capacity with Chevrolet, which is nice. And uh, yeah, no, it, it, I have nothing but fond memories of, of Windsor and and family and uh you know it's, it's nice to be able to uh you know visit to visit uh corporately at the renaissance center and be able to look from uh yep. look from the, the chevy office and, and be able to be able to look across the river and that's where i was born yeah that's cool man that's what it's all about though too so thanks for taking the time to do this man i really appreciate it thank you drake All right, all right, all right, ladies and gentlemen, Drake Demore back here on the podcast. That was Ron Fellows, a NASCAR driver. Obviously, you know who it is if you listen to the whole thing. Um, that, was a, that was a pretty interesting one. Again, like um, before the whole pandemic hit, similar to Sharon Creelman, I think we did these on the same day or like two days apart with uh, Ron and Sharon, wanted to kind of do some more unique sports. And although obviously uh, race car driving and NASCAR is very popular, it's something that I haven't never covered here on Win City Sports, including the Detroit Grand Prix, which is um, pretty much why we, we wanted to do this interview and release it around that time. Obviously the pandemic has affected that and there will be no race this year for the first time in God knows how many years, but um, that was kind of the theme, and I figured it was it was time. It was, uh, you know, not too late, not too early. It's not going to happen. We're starting to get to that warm weather, so it's, it's kind of bring that feel uh, to Wind City Sports. And I'd say a mission accomplished. You know, for myself, uh, again, I didn't know um, how someone could get into the sport and be successful, so Ron answered those questions. It goes all the way back to being a kid and doing the, the kart racing, um, which something like you know preparing for the interview I just thought of that day uh, obviously I plan to ask him you know how how do you go about it but um, the soapbox derby races just kind of came to mind from uh, like little rascals and, and stuff like that so I was like maybe he did that maybe that's a start and sure enough I, I was right for for once um, so yeah again thanks to Ron for taking the time to do that he's out in uh, Oshawa area providing uh, performance racing driving um classes or whatever it is that's if you're interested in something like that i mean you can learn from someone who is from canada and made it all the way to the top ranks of nascar so if you're out there and you're looking to check something out like that i'd say go uh, go find him just google ron fellows and all of his uh, his schools and stuff like that will pop up now without further ado let's uh let's go through some local sports news and stuff that i've gathered here some interesting points but we'll start off with the news uh, a lot of this gathered from the Windsor Star. Looks like Leamington's own Tyler Wall recently signed an entry-level deal with the New York Rangers in the NHL. 
Wall spent four seasons as a goaltender for the University of Massachusetts Lowell. Uh, originally selected in the 2016 entry draft, Tyler rejoined Windsor's own Matt Bolesky in the Rangers system. Some more hockey news. Former Windsor Spitfires captain Paul McFarlane is leaving the Toronto Maple Leafs to rejoin the Kingston Frontenacs of the OHL. Obviously not immediately because he is still under contract to the Maple Leafs until the end of the current season, which is currently on hold due to the COVID-19 pandemic. He states he's still fully committed to the Leafs until the season is settled. The plan is to rejoin Kingston in the next season. McFarland had previously coached with DJ Smith in Oshawa and Bob Bugner in Florida before taking off the TO. In case you missed it, the AKO Fratman are officially the St. Clair Fratman. Not sure if that has been mentioned here on the podcast in the last few weeks. Still in the Canadian Junior League, but under a new name and association with a college. They recently announced seven new recruits, mostly local. And you can check out all of their uh, announcements and stuff like that on their social media or on uh, saintsathletics.ca. Jesus, Drake. And another thing that uh, I didn't mention in the weeks prior was Spider Jones, a past uh, guest here on Win City Sports. He's revived the Spider's Web, a, um, a radio show out in Toronto now. I believe he's doing that. So um, back on the airwaves is Spider Jones, who's been uh, DJ, talk talk show host, and whatnot for many, many years from right here in Windsor. Had him on the show twice. Pretty interesting cat. And as mentioned, there's always something that usually drops after recording, so always check out our social media. We're always plugging things um, uh, from, you know, people in Windsor, around Windsor. There's always something that pops up after the podcast, and I'm like, damn, wish wish I could have got that on. But that is it this week on Wind City Sports. My name is Drake Damore, and I'm here every Thursday with a brand-new episode of the Wind City Sports radio show and podcast. Radio show is on CJAM 99.1 FM on Thursdays at 12.30 in Windsor and Detroit and Tuesdays at 8 p.m. You can hear every episode of the Wind City Sports podcast on windcitysports.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. Give us a like, follow, subscribe, whatever it is on social media, at windcity underscore sports. We also have a YouTube channel. Uh, so much. Just look up Wind City Sports. W-I-N-C-I-T-Y is all one word if you Google us or look us up on any sort of search engine. If you're using Apple Podcasts or anything like that, give us a review. Give us a five-star, please, please, and uh, help us grow a little bit. And you can also follow me, Drake Demore, on Twitter and Instagram, at Drake Demore. But until next week, smell you later.